morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark, and at Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. He, as the Lord, he is 100% deity, as God, he is God the Son, and he is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, the God-man. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world. He is the Jewish Messiah. And those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home are Christians. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing or a concept. And just as we do with anyone we love, we spend time getting to know him through the daily study of his word because you can't get to know the Lord or anyone else without knowing their mind. And the Bible is the Lord's exact thinking. Today's Bible lesson, history will judge us as the biggest suckers of all time. History will judge us as the biggest suckers of all time. Uh, if we're being honest with ourselves, which we seldom are, most of us are mad as hell. The anger present within us seeks its expression through social media rants. And you know if you spend any time on social media, you know that people are always expounding their opinions, and the opinions are just angry. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and as I think of it, even the mainstream media, which I, and I am broadcast trained in the objective form of broadcasting that used to exist, are the vehicles to vent this anger. And it brings to mind the character Howard Beale from a 1976 movie, Network, which you probably haven't seen, but is definitely worth seeing. And upon finding out that he was about to be fired from his long-standing job as a network anchor, he decided that he was going to commit suicide on the air and then instead thought better of it and went on a rant on network television. And his rant included the words, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. And he ends up inciting people all over the country to express their anger. And there were people hanging out of their windows at a specific time yelling, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And the movie was voted one of the ten best screenplays in the history of cinema. Well, we would do well to start a similar rant. But unlike Beale, we're mad as hell, yet we're content to keep on taking it. We refuse to stand up against the things we're mad about for our lethargy, for our refusal to change, for our refusal to stand up. We will be judged as the biggest sucker generation of all time. The ways we have sold ourselves out and given up on ourselves are too numerous to list in an hour or so. But in today's lesson, as we turn our attention back to the study of 1 Corinthians, I'd like to share a few reflections on our plight. Well, let's get the lesson started with some music. Every parent knows that when their kids are scared, they grab the parent's hand. And God expects the same thing from us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 
say this, and the Lord has told me, Paul, a truth that is an absolute fact, the indicative mood in Greek, my grace is sufficient for you once and for all time and forever, for divine power is perfected in human weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul, realizing that, says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the divine power of Christ may dwell in me. 2 Corinthians 12.10 Therefore, I, Paul, am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, that is when I am strong. Why does God allow tribulation in our lives? Because when we are weak, he expects us to run to him. And June Murphy has a suggestion in a song about what God expects when we run to him. A song called, Take My Hand. Listen up, beloved children. Hear what the Spirit has to say. The Christian way of living the Zoe life is led by having faith. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk in
June, let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for illuminating our challenges every time we come to hear your Word. Thank you for giving us a simple, single source, the Bible, from which we can learn your truths about what it takes to have an amazing life. And even though it takes us years to believe what you're telling us as true, thanks for being an ever-present refuge for us. Father, give us the desire to change. Give us the courage to change. Give us the urgency to change and to do all the things that you suggest. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson History will judge us as the biggest suckers of all time. History will judge us as the biggest suckers of all, all time. So you probably have heard of a document called the Declaration of Independence. And back in the 1770s, the United States was a British possession, and we were quite tired of the tyranny that we were experiencing from King George. And so our founding fathers got together and decided that we would make a new nation. And here are some of the words that they wrote. And I think these words are things that we have forgotten. But they are the very foundation on which our country was built. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all of us are created equal. And we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And my question for you is, are you happy? Whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish such government and to institute new government. Has our government become destructive? Does a government who takes away your ability to go to work based on some fear, contrived fear, taking your best interests, keeping your best interests in mind? When a long train of abuses and usurpations Pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce us under absolute despotism. It is our right, in fact it is our duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for our future security. Are we once again living in tyranny? Are we once again subjecting ourselves to despots? Are we once again abandoning the idea of freedom? I'll save you the suspense. We are. But I don't blame the government. I blame us. They're doing what we allow them to do. This country was founded by a group of men who were mad as hell and decided not to take it anymore. And I wanted to begin this lesson reminding you of what the desire for freedom sounds like. Because believe me, you have completely forgotten. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 reminds us as well, it was for freedom that the Lord Jesus Christ set us believers in Christ free. 
And therefore, keep on standing fast in the freedom and do not ever entangle yourselves again in the yoke of slavery. That was written before the Declaration of Independence was written. So you know that the Declaration of Independence was based on that thought. Don't ever entangle yourselves in the yoke of slavery. Now, fortunately for us, in God's plan, death is always followed by life. We saw that last week as we celebrated the Lord's death on a cross and then his resurrection from the dead three days later. His death on the cross was followed by the resurrection life. We are experiencing a form of death right now. We have re-entered slavery, mental slavery. We are back on the plantation. We are being robbed of our rights and our freedoms. This is not new. It's been happening all along for a really long time. And we've known it all along. And we aren't ignorant of it, but we laughed at it. We thought it was cute that we were giving up our rights to privacy with the Patriot Act. We thought it was cute that uh, all of a sudden organizations, there are six organizations that run all of the broadcast media. We think that's cute. When I was first starting in my industry, there were probably 50 organizations or 100 organizations that had uh, rights to broadcast things. And now six companies own the media and they are propaganda machines. They're putting out whatever they want. Our president calls it fake news. A lot of it is fake news and nobody is challenging it. Nobody is saying, I'm sick of this. I'm mad as hell about this lack of objectivity and I'm not going to take it anymore. So when we turn on the TV, we have to listen to a bunch of people ranting their unresearched opinions about every subject that is on the radio. It's talk radio, talk radio, talk radio everywhere with people just ranting yelling at each other, talking too loud. When did that happen? We let it happen, and we love it, and we feed it because we watch it, and their assumption is, well, we got to give the people what they want, and they're expressing that they want it by watching it, so therefore they must want it. No, that's not how it is at all. We have raised a generation of kids that we can't stand. They can't read They can't think. They can't finish a sentence without misusing the word like, without misusing the word literally, without misusing the word random. They don't have a work ethic. We know it, and we're mad as hell about it, but we don't do a thing to change it. I was sitting next to a a mother in an airport lounge. You remember when we used to be able to go to airport lounges? You remember when we used to be able to fly to other cities? But I was sitting next to this mother in an airport lounge and her kid was completely ignoring her, buried in a video game. And she looked at me and he's yelling out loud as if he's the only person in the lounge. And she says, what are you going to do? All the kids are doing it. What you're going to do is parent them, ma'am. That's what you're going to do. But you're not going to because you've given up. She didn't like me saying that. We're mad as hell about it. If video games produce revenue, we'd all have billionaire children. Amen? We have a government 
that is allegedly made up of some of the smartest people in the world, and yet they ignore, with our permission, a fundamental principle of budgeting. It is foolish to spend money you don't have, yet $2 trillion that is not backed up by a thing has been printed and sent to us, and we think we deserve it. But because we follow their lead in our own personal finances, because we spend more money than we have on a regular basis and let credit card companies charge us $35 late fees and 25% usury interest rates. And believe me, any of you that want money, then you want to pay 25% a year, please call me. Since we let that happen and we don't take them to task about bankrupting our country. They keep doing it. We keep giving money away to other countries when we have problems here at home that require money. We marry for romantic love. We know in our heart of hearts, because we've seen it ad infinitum, a Latin expression which means endlessly, that romantic love does not sustain a relationship. Yet we look forward to having our children spend $75,000 on a destination wedding only to be divorced two years later from a person that we knew they would never be able to make it with. We're mad as hell, but we keep thinking that somehow our fantasies will work out. Our, Our kids read the statistics you are 38% more likely to get divorced if you live with somebody before you marry them, and yet they live with people anyway. They get into a relationship. A friend of mine got into a relationship with a woman. They bought an $800,000 house together. They both signed on the line, and then they did, I talked them out of getting married, and then they had to spend a year and a half dissolving the property with all their money tied up in it. And we have friends like that. And then when we decide that we're in love with somebody, we will go do the exact same thing even though we saw it not work out for them. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're mad as hell. But we keep thinking that somehow our fantasies about what life ought to be like is somehow going to come true. It doesn't. We want to be rich. So we play the lottery, even though we know that everyone who has ever won the lottery was worse off financially. They've won hundred millions of dollars, was worse off financially in three years than they were before they won the lottery. We know that. They run through a hundred million dollars in three years. I don't even, honestly, I don't think I could even do that. I don't think I could run through a million dollars in three years. I don't. But that's what happens. By playing the lottery, we allow our government to rob us of wealth. We go to Las Vegas, and we willingly premeditate giving away multiple mortgage payments for a chance to get rich quick by playing games when the odds are $250 million to one against us. And if anybody calls us on it, and I've called a lot of people on that, I've, I've said to people, where are you going? To Vegas. What are you going to do? Gamble. Wow, I wish I had a business where somebody premeditated giving me three of their mortgage payments. Oh, it's all fun. It's entertainment. (laughs) And they get that really uncomfortable little laugh. 
And then I step right on their throat and say, well, you know, the odds are against you 250 million to one, right? Well, you never know. You never know. Yes, you do. 249,999,999 times. You know. Yeah, you know. We believe political parties and politicians who tell us that they will forgive our debts and give us free health care because we deserve it. How do we deserve it? I always thought you had to work for things. At least that's what I was taught. What was wrong with my mother teaching me that work ethic crap when all I have to do is just sit there like a baby bird and wait for politicians to drop the health care worm in my mouth? Why have I worked so hard? Why have I worked so hard to get to the point where uh, I'm on Medicare and I'm thinking that my health insurance payments are going to go down from 1200 to 300 and then I find out I get to pay $500 a month extra because I make too much money. And that's fair? That's not fair. I don't get any stimulus payments. That's fair? That's not fair. It's not. And I'm mad as hell about it. But we believe political parties and politicians who tell us that they're going to forgive our debts and give us free health care and, and pay off all our college loans. Nobody paid off my college loans. And their promises never come true. And then the next group of them that say the same thing four years from now, we believe them too. We sin. And we think we can get away with it. Ecclesiastes says, because God doesn't execute the judgment against sin immediately, we somehow think we get away with it. Now, he paid for our sins, but make no mistake about it, there's one thing he didn't change. Sin leads to death. It never works out. But we think we can get away with it. We think just because we stuck our hand in the cookie jar and stole a cookie everything's going to work out. It doesn't work out. We expect to prosper without doing work. We work at jobs we hate, and then we tell ourselves it's okay. And you know why we work at jobs we hate? Because we never bothered to decide what a good job would really be like. Maybe a good job is a job where you work 26 weeks a year and you don't work 26 weeks a year, and maybe that's okay for you. Maybe you could craft a lifestyle that gave you as much playtime as you had work time. But you don't have the courage to do it. I do. I had the courage to do it. And you know what people say to me? Must be nice. And you know what must be nice means. Must be nice is, you know, you, everybody can't do what you do. Yeah, you can if you make sacrifices. Yeah, you can. And we're mad because we don't make the sacrifices because we're afraid the sin that cuts off thinking. We're scared to death to see how amazing we can be. And now we've been forced into our homes to witness the complete theft of our lifestyles and we are sitting there allowing it. We're mad because we know we are suckers and history will judge us as such. Divine history will judge us as the biggest group of suckers that has ever roamed the planet. 
Well, after death comes life in God's plan. And there's no doubt in my mind that God will free us once again. He will deliver us from this fascism being perpetrated by invisible spiritual forces, not visible human ones. We want to blame our favorite whipping boy, Donald Trump, because we want to believe the Democratic Party's nonsense that they're on our side. I grew up in the most democratic place on planet Earth, Chicago, Illinois. I've been listening to that lie for 65 years, and it has never come true, and it never will. If people give you stuff, you don't grow. It will never be true, yet we believe it is. And I am not espousing politics or republicanism by saying this. I'm just telling you. It's a lie. And you know it. Because there is no person that you would have in your life, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, or wife, who could lie to you as much as the Democratic Party has, and you would give them a break. You would leave them. Yet that's not what we do with political parties. We keep believing their lies. And what it does is it erodes our soul at the very core. It erodes our confidence in ourselves to be able to do anything. And then pretty soon we're just drones. Uh, 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 uh. I don't want to live a life like that. Do you? I don't want that life. And that's why I became a pastor. I became a pastor because I don't want you to be lied to. I want you to have somebody in your life who's telling you the truth. I am sick of being lied to, and you should be too. We're mad as hell because we are suckers, and history will judge us as such such and we're not doing one thing about it so today after you listen to this just go curl up in your house and sit there until Mazza says it's okay for you to come out and don't say anything about it just shut up about it but then there's God God will restore our light He will restore our life because that's what he does every time that is taken from us. Because of our God, we have hope. But if history has taught us anything, we know that as soon as he frees us, we will run right back to the slavery we crave. We just don't listen to him. And the Bible predicted our stupidity over 2,000 years ago. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, which say this, The time will come, and the time is now, when people will not endure sound doctrine. People are repelled from sound, truthful teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, being told what they want to hear instead of the truth they need to hear, which they call brutal honesty, They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. 2 Timothy 4, 4. And they will turn away their ears from the truth 
and they will turn instead to myths, mythology. In other words, we'll be suckers. God doesn't want us to be suckers. He offers us a spiritual life so that we can have a life filled with real meaning and real love, unconditional love. But we ignore him. When we study the Bible, we get to see in others what we are doing ourselves, yet we miss it that the lesson is for us. One of the things I always love when new people come to Barah Ministries is, you know, at a a point I'll go to them and I'll ask them, what do you think of the lesson? Oh, my mom should have been here. Oh, my brother should have been here. Oh, my cousin should have been here. They need to hear this. No, don't ask for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. You're not here for your brother or your mother or your girlfriend or your sister or any of those people. They got to come for themselves. You're here for you. Ask not for whom the funeral bell tolls. It tolls for thee. And most of us couldn't pass an undertaker without getting snatched off the street. We are dead but not buried yet. And they would recognize it. We're studying the first letter of Paul to the church he established at Corinth. By way of reminder, Corinth was the Las Vegas of the first century world. See, it's always been that way, and it still is. We didn't learn anything. And what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. (laughs) Yeah, when you go to Vegas and you do stupid stuff, it has no effect. (laughs) Especially if nobody knows. Yeah, right. It's a place where people went to sin. That's what Corinth was. It was a Roman colony and a great place to let your hair down without having to be noticed by the people who know you. The Corinthian culture was filled with people who engaged in orgies and usury, which is uh, loaning money, loan sharking. It's loaning money for exorbitant interest rates and the worship of pseudo-gods and other repugnant lifestyles. And God planted a church right in the middle of Corinth. Isn't he amazing? Planted a church right in the middle of Corinth, sent his boy, Paul, to start the church. And Paul spent 18 months in Corinth teaching them everything they needed to know, then moved on to Ephesus in Turkey, and then all hell broke loose in Corinth. As we study the lives of the believers at Corinth, we may have occasion to be a bit appalled by what they're doing because a lot of the things that they're doing are appalling. But we ought to be appalled as we see ourselves in them because the things that make us maddest about other people are the things that we hate in ourselves. We know that we are doing those things. We know we have sold ourselves out. All of us sin regularly, even though as believers in Christ we have had the righteousness of God, our ticket to heaven at physical death imputed to us since the moment of our so great salvation. As believers in Christ, we are walking around with a plus R stenciled to our forehead, and if a black light was shined in heaven, everyone would know that we belonged to Christ. We are his possession. 
We are no better, though, than the believers at Corinth. So when we look at the believers at Corinth and we say, mm, 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 can you believe they do that? These are the very things that we are doing. We are human. In fact, we are much worse because we have so many more resources available to us than they did, yet we don't take advantage of them. I still can't believe it every single time when I figure it out that I can sit in my footed pajamas and access every library in the world through Google or Bing or Yahoo or these search engines. I can't believe it that I can have a meeting with a person in China in the morning, a person in Europe in the afternoon, and a person in the United States in the afternoon. I can't believe it. That didn't exist when I was first starting my career, nor did computers. I can't believe that I have the computing power sitting in front of me at my desk that used to be housed in 15 buildings. I can't believe it. And a hundred times faster than those computers were. I can't believe it. I can't believe that I can get in my car and put a device to my ear and call people all over the world. I can't believe that my phone is smart enough to know that I shouldn't be holding that to my ear and then is engaging itself with my car so that I can do it handlessly. Amen? We're disgusting people. We are such big suckers. We have resources that boggle the imagination, and we don't use them. How beautifully Amy Carmichael a 19th century Christian missionary to India puts it in her small but penetrating book, If. Here's what she says. If I belittle those who I am called to serve, if I talk of their weak points in contrast with what I think of as my strong points, elitism, racism, if I adopt a superior attitude, forgetting the biblical admonitions, well, who made you to differ? And what do you have that you did not receive from God? Then I know nothing of the unconditional love the Lord displayed at Calvary. The Lord knew all of this about us and still went to the cross to die so that we could be free. If I take offense easily, I'm offended. (laughs) The grizzly bears doing grizzly bear things. If I am content, to continue in a cool unfriendliness, though friendship be possible, then I know nothing of the unconditional love the Lord displayed at Calvary. If I feel bitter toward those who condemn me, as it seems to me, unjustly forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more. I love that. When people condemn you, they're only condemning you for 10% of who you really are at your basis level, if they only knew. Yeah, we get all haughty and, uh, how could they say that about me? Because they reported on 10% of your maliciousness. That's how they could say it about you. If I feel bitter toward those who condemn me, as it seems to me, unjustly forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more than I know nothing of the unconditional love the Lord displayed by shedding his blood and dying for us at Calvary. Well, I raise my hand, guilty as charged, 
Because I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to myself. I disappoint myself on a regular basis. God puts the slowest learners up front. Amen? You're not supposed to say amen to that. You're supposed to say, oh, no, pastor. No, not you, pastor. Anybody but you. I am quite mad at myself for my own lethargy. Isn't it time for us to be through with this malaise? Isn't it time for us to stop blaming our favorite whipping boys for our problems? Isn't it time for us to stop pointing finger? We have seen the enemy and he is us. Isn't it time for us to claim our birthright as Christians outlined in Philippians Chapter 4, verse 13, I don't believe you heard me, our birthright as Christians, which says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not I can do all things through self, not I can do all things through others, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Because the truth of the matter is, if you believe what God is saying, you can't fail. If God is for us and he is, who can be against us? When you are going to be mad as hell, when are you going to be mad as hell and stop taking it? I'm not advocating social rebellion. I'm advocating introspective rebellion. Rebellion against that voice inside of yourself that is telling you to deny doing the next right thing that you know is right for you. When you put those graham crackers in your mouth, instead of putting some fruit in your mouth, I'm telling you to stand up at that moment, knowing that in those graham crackers is some chemical that's going to blow your stomach up. And you know it. I'm asking you to stop drinking 32-ounce glasses, Slurpees, with high-fructose corn syrup in it that blows up your stomach and blows your health out and makes you so tired you can't function. Because our government allows the Food and Drug Administration to approve things that are banned in other countries. Because they're comfortable with killing us, but they want us to believe today that they're on our side. They are not on our side. And we don't want to believe it. If you go in stores, 90% of the stuff in there is designed to kill you. And don't get me wrong, I like gummy worms, barbecue potato chips, and Cheetos as much as the next guy. I do. But I sure know how I feel right after I eat it. I don't think that it is really favorable to my glucose levels. I don't think it is the stuff that is making me healthy. I don't like it that sores put dye on my steaks to make them look red, to deceive me. Do you? Because we put up with it. There are stores that don't do that. 
but they're inconveniently located at places other than Costco. I'm sick of it. And I want you to be sick of it. Because that is conduct unbecoming of children of kings. Of a king. We're a child of a king. We're heirs to everything that Christ has. And we need to start acting like it. And our voice needs to be found again. Well, when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering and then we'll continue looking in the mirror uh, at, through the believers in the Corinthian church who show us a lifestyle that just doesn't work. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me? It's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody All about somebody Save my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down In history As another blood-bought Faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name Well, that's fine I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go i 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, history will judge us as the biggest suckers of all time. History will judge us as the biggest suckers of all time. Well, when God blesses us financially, he wants us to raise our standard of giving, not our standard of living. So be generous so that Barah Ministries can pass along the gift of the gospel message to the people who are flocking to our site. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God, the Bible. So, I'm mad as hell too, I guess, because I was thinking about this whole coronavirus and the quarantine. It got us our, our California vacation canceled. Kids have been talking about the beach for months now, and all of a sudden now we can't go. Everything's closed. So I'm mad too, but maybe not as hell because I got a stimulus check, so <laughs> kind of mad. I'm just not totally mad. I, I'll let it ride this time, I guess. <laughs> As long as there's checks every time we get quarantined, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it, I guess. But truth be told, you know, I was, I, my beach body was ready. I was ready to go to the beach. And I was like, one more month just to fine-tune, get set, and now we've got to be quarantined. Now we can't even go out. You can't ride your bike. You can't do anything. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, because <clears throat> when you think about this time of year, it is beach body season. It's time for the body. And... I know I was thinking about you know what do you think of when you think of the word body? Instantly you think of self, right? You think of oh my hair growing out of my ears and a little bit heavier now and the jacket's a little tighter and you, you go introspective and you think about yourself and what does the quarantine make us do? We're isolated. We're thinking about ourselves, but we don't really own our body as Christians. Our body was purchased for a price. We see that in First Corinthians chapter six verse nineteen through 20. Paul talking about some of the debauchery that was happening in Corinth and some of the hedonism was telling these people, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, you, whom you have from God the Father and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So our body really isn't, it's not about our beach body and how it affects us. Our body is part of the royal family. So the unity of the royal family is when we come together at church. And that's the unity of the body. And so I just want to think about the body in a different way rather than thinking about self. Think about others. Think about the body of Christ and what Christ went through to pay that price. It was a steep price. So it's easy for us to have faith and it's easy for us to give it the offering because he paid the ultimate price. And so it's it's just different. So what do you think of the word body now? Do you think about self or do you think about the body of Christ? And I think it's really important to think about the body of Christ when we're at the offering because this is the chance to show what you've been given from Christ through your spiritual gift. You have time, talent, and treasure to give of the offering and give to Broad Ministries and to give to the world and to others. And it's really easy to think, oh, it's beach body time. Let me focus on myself, put my earbuds in, and worry about myself and not think about others because there's a lot of people suffering right now that are alone and need to be reached out to. And so... Let's think about the body of Christ as everybody rather than the, ourselves. And when we do that, it's easier to give, I think. It's easier to give to everybody because we're a collective and we're helping each other. 
And this is Christ's ministry, not ours. So it truly is Christ's body and Christ's money and Christ's talent that we're just borrowing while we're here. So thank you for always giving and thank you for always supporting our pastor who's, I don't think he's the slowest learner. I'm probably the slowest learner, so I'll take that for him. But at least I don't park in the closest spot in the parking lots like some people. So take Pastor's spot. But we'll let that slide. So hit it, Zach. And history will judge us as the biggest suckers of all time. History will judge us as the biggest suckers of all time. Well, where we left off when the global pandemic hit is in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And by way of reminder, in the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul discusses the problems brought to him by Chloe's people and others. In 1 Corinthians chapters 7 to 16, Paul will be addressing the concerns and offering spiritual solutions to the problems. Every human problem has a spiritual solution. And this week, I urge you to go back to take a look at the first five chapters of 1 Corinthians that we studied and to catch yourselves up so that we can proceed. Now, I sent you the first five chapters through Deacon Larry Collins last night, so you should have it. And it will be the illuminated translation that will help you understand exactly what's being said there. And those are things that we already studied. And so if you didn't get it, please let Deacon Larry know. Now, what are some of the problems outlined in the first five chapters of 1 Corinthians? Well, elitism, divisions, rivalries incest. Can you believe it that there are people who think they are better than other people because of the neighborhood they live in? Can you believe it that there are people who believe that they are better than people because of the amount of money in their bank account? Can you believe it that there are people who are married who are not on each other's side? Can you believe it 
that there are com- competitions in relationships, rivalries. Can you believe it that there are people who think that they are better than you because the color of their skin is lighter than the color of your skin? Can you believe it that there are people who have sex with their own relatives? This isn't stuff that only happened back in Corinth. This is stuff that's happening now. One in three women in the United States under the age of 18 have been molested by a family member but by the time they are 18 years old. One in three. And what do we do? We look the other way. How many times is it that that has gone on with full knowledge of one of the parents and they tolerate it? A lot. Now, where do these issues show up in your life? That's really the issue. Don't be pointing at the Corinthians. Can you believe that they did that? Yeah, I can believe that they did it because I see it happening today. What are you doing about it? is really the question. Are you mad as hell and not going to take it anymore? One of the, one of the things that's being said, uh, that, that's being, one of the issues that's being illuminated is human trafficking. What is that? Women are being sold into prostitution. That's been happening for years. And I, all of a sudden, because somebody decided it was an issue, it's an issue, it's been a, an issue for years. Years. Women have never been thought of as equal to men. The Constitution says all of us are created equal. Women have never been thought of that way, and they've been abused and and misused. And what do we do? We look the other way. It didn't happen in my family, so no big deal. Well, it happened in mine, and it was a real big deal. So where do these things show up in your life? And what are you doing about it? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 picks up the next set of issues, lawsuits and consorting with prostitutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a legal case against his neighbor, which is a fellow believer, dare to go to law before the unrighteous, before unbelievers who are outsiders, and not go to law before the saints, the righteous ones, the incisors. In other words, if you have a legal dispute with somebody, is the first place you're going to go to court? I know two believers in Christ who were partners for years, made money together for years, and then all of a sudden, when the partnership was coming to an end, now they got to go to court to deal with it. And now they're bitter enemies when they were absolute friends and business partners before that. Now, could they have come to me and I could have helped them to negotiate a settlement that was right for both of them? Easily, they both like me, they both respect me. But the real issue is, were they going to get off it long enough to end the partnership and to come up with an equitable solution? But one of the partners wasn't interested in an equitable solution. He was interested in a pound of flesh, and so they had to go before unbelievers to get their result, to, to, to get their dispute settled. <coughs> and what did it do? It just hurt them. It hurt them both. It cut them deep. It cut the heart right out of them, and it cut into their wallet. It cut into their bank account. They couldn't settle it on their own. 
They couldn't get another believer to help them settle it. That's what Paul's talking about here. Paul is mortified that believers in Christ would go to unbelievers to settle a legal case. And these were small matters, by the way, not complex matters. A dispute, rather than settling it among themselves. This is the same thing that happens in marriages every day. People have disputes about the stupidest stuff, like who's squeezing the toothpaste tube from the middle of the tube, and they can't come up with, sit down and come up with a solution that's equitable to both of them like buying two different tubes of toothpaste, putting their names on it and saying, please do not touch. Amen? It's pretty easy. In Paul's mind, this breaks the fellowship and the unity of believers, prompting more divisions and rivalries. And we know that in the first five chapters of 1 Corinthians, most of what we were dealing with was divisions and rivalries. This promotes competition in the congregation rather than cooperation. Well, where is the unconditional love, man? Paul is saying that it's better to settle a dispute in a moral church than in a corrupt court in front of judges who are not walking in the light, Christianity. Paul is disgusted by this decision by the believers in the church at Corinth. Paul is mad as hell, and he's not going to take it anymore. The state of California comes to mind when I think of this. I would never, ever, ever, under any circumstance, want to own a business in the People's Republic of California. The entire court system is antagonistic toward businesses, and business owners and leaders are completely unable to function because of the laws stacked against them. Business owners are mad as hell, yet they continue to take it. The court justice Paul experienced in his day was unjust imprisonment on multiple occasions. He had every right to have a jaundiced view because it was an accurate view of the court system of the day. And he wrote many of his letters from prison. Acts chapter 16 and verses 22 to 24 say this, The crowd rose up together against Paul and Silas, And the chief magistrates tore the robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Acts 16, 23. And when they had been struck with many blows, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely or else he would be killed if they escaped. Acts 16, 24. And the jailer, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, solitary, and fastened their feet in the stocks. They were in solitary confinement like we are in our homes right now, but they were, they were shackled with stocks, ankle bracelets. And by the way, this is Acts 16, so you know what's coming up in Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. They saved the jailer. It is unlawful to treat a Roman citizen, the way they were treated, to flog them publicly without a trial. See, in Rome, they had due process, just like we used to have due process here in the United States. In the United States, we used to be innocent until we were proven guilty. Not anymore. If, you, if I accuse you of something and I say it's a matter of national security, you are guilty until proven innocent, which you won't be. But the magistrates thought that Paul and Silas were Jews. 
That's why it was okay to mistreat them, because they were Jews. Because it's always been okay to mistreat the Jews. But what they didn't know, they couldn't know, is that they were both Roman citizens as well. They were Jews. They were from the God's chosen nation, Israel. They were God's chosen people, the Jews. And they were Roman citizens. It didn't get any better than that. They shouldn't have been mistreated. But they were. And so the magistrates were wrong. And what they, when the magistrates found out that they had beaten Roman citizens without just cause, they tried, oh, just let them go. Paul said, no, you come down here and let me go. I want you to look at the people that you mistreated. Don't pass it off to somebody else. Why? Because Paul was mad as hell, and he wasn't going to take it anymore. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is to be judged by you as saints, believers in Christ are saints, not sinners, are you not competent to judge the most trivial legal cases among yourselves? There's what the Romans call an a fortiori argument. If the, if the stronger thing is true, the lesser thing has to be true. If we, as church-age believers, are going to judge the world, then can't we settle little minor disputes? Yes. Yes, we can. Whenever Paul asks, do you not know, he's referring to something that the Corinthians have been taught. And he's asking them, are you ignorant? Because we're in union with Christ as church-age believers, we will sit as judges of the world with our Lord because we will share in everything that he has and he will judge the world. Paul is really asking them why they're being so ignorant in a matter where they should know better. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know? There it is again. I think he says this nine times in 1 Corinthians. Are you ignorant? Do you not know that as saints we will judge angels? <laughs> How much more then will we be competent enough to judge the ordinary matters of this life? Another R40 a fortiori argument. If we're going to do the stronger thing, judging angels, can we take care of trivial little matters between ourselves? And of course the answer is yes. Paul is asking again, are you ignorant? As members of the creator-creature conflict, we are serving as judges of the angels that refused God's reconciliation offer after their fall. And every one of us, as believers in Christ in the church age, who accept Jesus Christ as Savior, condemn fallen angels who rejected the res reconciliation offer. Paul is simply doing for these believers in the Corinthian church what I do for you every week. He is reminding them who they are in union with Christ. They are going to heaven. They are believers in Christ. They are possessions of a king. They are children of a king. They, in, they are inheritance of the... In, 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 they are going to... You know what I mean? They're going <laughs> to... So, I'm so excited. They're going to inherit the promise, and yet they're acting like idiots. Just like us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 says it. I, Paul, think God has displayed us apostles, your teachers, as last out of all, as men condemned to death, so that we might be a spectacle 
a theatron to the world, both the angels and the men. When we say, I just know my relatives are looking down on me, those who have died. I just know they're looking down on me. No, they aren't. Who's looking down on you is angels in the theatron of the Supreme Court of Heaven who are watching to see why the fallen angels are going to the lake of fire. And every time us weak human beings believe in Christ, we put a nail in the coffin of the fallen angels who have appealed the sentence of going to the lake of fire by accusing God of being unfair and unloving. And he is neither. He is very loving. He is completely fair. They're liars. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. So if you set up law courts dealing with the trivial matters of this life, little lawsuits, why don't you appoint as judges those who you hold in contempt, elitists? Why don't you give the job of judging to those people in the Corinthian congregation who you elitists think are people of little account, persona, Non grata, why don't you give the decision to judge matters like this to the Negroes? Amen? <laughs> give it to the brother. Let me do it, because I'm not, I'm not as good as everybody else, because of the color of my skin. <laughs> what was that? Was that something funny? Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Paul is suggesting that the ones, the elitist believers in the Corinthian church, perceive as the weakest, the ones God would use to shame the wise, should be used because they'd be perfect judges in trivial matters. If they're trivial people, they should be able to handle trivial matters. To the angels. Humans are so much lesser than them. Angels are a little bit elitist, especially the fallen ones. When it comes to humans, they look at us, they can't believe that God loves us. They think we're ugly. They think we're stupid. They can't believe that God loves us. And it's much like the way we see animals a lot of times. You know, we look at animals and we think, that's just a dog, you know? kind of the way I think about Chico, uh, Denise's dog, <laughs> or a little chihuahua who I think should be put on a hot dog bun and eaten, but that's beside the point. Yet humans, the weak, will judge the angels. God has set a precedent in the matter of who is qualified to judge, and the weak are qualified to judge, but not unbelievers judging believers, and that's what bothered Paul. See, Paul is the perfect guy, because Paul is the worst person of all time. So the Lord was, <laughs> the Lord's beautiful. He's just beautiful. I love him more and more every day, because he took a guy who he knew in omniscience was going to betray him and made him the treasurer of the apostle. He knew he was a thief. And he made him the treasurer. Why? Because he was giving him a chance. And then he knew not only was that, that he was going to steal, but he was going to betray him, but he gave him a chance. 
And then when that guy did exactly what people do who sin, which led himself right to death and ended up throwing the money away, by the way, that he was paid, threw the money away. At least use the money, Judas. Who did, he, who did the Lord replace him with? Paul, the worst person of all time, whose single-handed mission was to kill all Christians and to wipe out the Christian church. And you guys sit here and worry about your sins. <laughs> I don't. Whenever I sin, I just say one thing to myself, well, that ain't as bad as Paul. <laughs> it's paid for because the Lord loves you with no conditions. And the thing is, you can't even grasp that in your mind because if you could, then you wouldn't sell yourself out. If you started thinking of yourself like God thinks of you, you wouldn't sell yourself out and you would refuse to be a sucker. Amen? I want you to refuse to be a sucker. That's why I became a pastor, because I don't want you to be a sucker. I want you to have somebody in your life who's telling you the truth. And what are there? 30 of you who want to hear it? Okay, then there's 30. Then I don't need 31. I'll take what I got. And I don't want to lose a one of you, because here's what I think. I think that... When I come to Barah Ministries and I look in your eyes, I see amazing people. I see a group of people that's on my side. You know me, who I am and who I am not, and you could care less about who I am not. You look at me and you just say, you know what? Shut up about your life, okay, buddy? Just, can you just teach the word? Stop all the songs. You know, that's what they told me yesterday. Can, can we stop all the song? Just teach. Just teach the word, man. Okay. I get it. I do. Because the word is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Our Jesus and the word. And that's it. I don't need anything else. 1 Corinthians 6, 5. I, Paul, say all of this to shame you elitist believers in the Corinthian church. It is so that there is not among you, is it so that there's not among you one wise man who'll be able to decide between his brethren? 1 Corinthians 6, 6, instead brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. And as one of my mentors used to say, give me a personal break. Like the Corinthians, we've been taught. We know better than to be mad and to just take it. Undoubtedly, our current pandemic is the creation of spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And if you're wondering why God allows it, and that's what a lot of people say, you know what, if God is so powerful and Satan's doing all this stupid stuff, why does God allow it? He allows it because... He knows where it's going. He's being fair. He's giving somebody who's lying a chance to prove that he's telling the truth and Satan never proves that he's telling the truth because there is no truth in him. He's a liar and the one who keeps on fathering lies. John 8, 44. That's why God allows it. 
And he allows it for you so that you can look at the lifestyles you have created. That's why you're in your homes right now. You're looking to see what lifestyle you have created, to see if you're satisfied with it. And I know you aren't. Maybe it's time to be mad at yourselves for believing deceptions rather than blaming everyone else for what's happening to you. I can't wait to see how all of this coronavirus pandemic is going to be Donald Trump's fault. Can't wait to see how that happens. You can't even mention Donald Trump's name without people looking at you with content. Well, you can look at me with content if you want to. He is my president, and whether I like him or I don't like him is irrelevant. He is the president, and he is somebody that I support because he is in the chair at the exalted position of President of the United States. And if you haven't sat in that chair, you don't know what you're talking about, about what it's like to be in that chair. And if you haven't sat in that, if you sat in that chair and you think you are perfect and you don't have a series of skeletons that can be surfaced and made public, you are kidding yourselves. And if you don't like it, When somebody says something positive about the president of the United States, then don't listen. Go crawl into your hole and keep believing your fantasies. I don't care. Stop fooling yourselves. Stand up and see what you're capable of. See what you're made of. That's what you need to be doing instead of pointing fingers at everybody else. It is time for us to stop being suckers. It's time to believe our God. He tells us the truth. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God doesn't want you to be a sucker. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You sow no work, you get no, what, how did Bruce Arians say it? No risk it, no biscuit. Right? You sow nothing, you get nothing. Amen? Hosea, chapter 8, verse 7, talked about the Jews. What did he say? They sow the wind and they reap the tornado. You don't get to mistreat God and think you're going to get away with it. Yet we have a gracious God who doesn't want to see you hurt. Even Israel of the Old Testament taught us lessons that we have failed to learn. And if you don't learn from history, you repeat history. I'm mad as hell. Join me in not taking it anymore. Let's listen to our God and let's actually hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Let's listen to our God and actually hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Amen? Amen. All right, well, we close the lesson as we always do by asking you, begging you, exhorting you to make the most important decision of your life. So the closing moments of our study are for the benefit of anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. So my question for you is, are you a sinner or are you a saint? 
Are you a sinner or are you a saint? According to the Bible, all of us come to earth as sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Unfortunately, being a sinner has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death. Being a sinner is bad news, and especially if you die as a sinner. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says this, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life at the great white throne judgment of unbelievers, sinners, and that will be true for many, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible has good news, though, if you're a sinner. You can choose to become a saint, a believer in Christ. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his God, the Father, have special plans for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind, and that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. John chapter 3, verse 16, God the Father loved the world unconditionally. And he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross and to shed blood so that whosoever believes in him shall never perish but have the resurrection life. The Lord Jesus Christ has his arms open and waiting to welcome sinners into his kingdom. John chapter 6, verse 37, And the ones who come to believe in me I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will certainly not cast out into the outer darkness the lake of fire. But there are a few things you need to know if you want to be transformed from sinner to saint. First, you can't work to be saved. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, We are born again and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit, placing us into union with Christ at the baptism of the Spirit. Second, to be a saint instead of a sinner, you need to have a change of mind. And the Bible calls this repentance, and it has nothing to do with your sins, as many legalists claim. Repent means to change your mind about your desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ moving from having no desire to, have an, to having an immediate desire to having a relationship with him. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31 say this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of your ignorance, <laughs> having overlooked the times of your ignorance, when you were a sinner, an unrighteous, ungodly unbeliever, God the Father is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Change your mind about having a relationship with my son because God the Father has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, whom the Father has appointed, having furnished proof that he is God through his resurrection from the dead to all men. Amazing. Finally, you need to acknowledge the truths in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, which say this, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel message, 
that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. All right, so how can you move from sinner to saint? John chapter 1, verse 12. Whosoever received him, to them the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God, children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 36 warns you this way. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, the resurrection life, right at that moment, with the result that it stands finished forever. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Resurrection life, eternal life, zoe life, the Greek word, exact same thing. A life with no beginning and no ending. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So take a moment out of your busy life and heed the suggestion. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus Jesus as Lord, that he is God. And if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. And then once you have salvation, you cannot lose it. And if anybody tells you that you can lose your salvation, they are lying to you. You didn't do your salvation, and you can't lose it. Who did it? a God who never changes his mind, and he gave you salvation, and he cannot take it back, period. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ is able also to save forever, once and for all time, through his divine power, omnipotence, those who draw near to God the Father through believing in the Christ. Since the Lord Jesus Christ always lives to make intersection, intercession, for those who draw near. So, believe right now. And we'll close with some music. When you make a decision to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, he purifies you from your sins with his blood. And God the Father cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And both of them impute their righteousness to you as your admission ticket to heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 say this, since you believers in Christ have, in obedience to the truth of the gospel message, purified your souls for a sincere and unconditional love of the brethren, fervently, deeply love one another unconditionally from the heart. For you believers in Christ have now been born again, which is the spiritual birth, a supernatural event. You've been born again, not of a seed that's perishable, but born again of a seed that is imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God, through the living and enduring promise that God has made. And here's June Murphy to sing about it in her song, Born Again. I once was lost, but now 
was blind, but now I see. Once under condemnation, now I have been redeemed. Once in the dark, now in the light, because I have believed in the death and resurrection of the Christ who set me free. I have been born again, born again. I'm a new creation, born again. Was once an enemy of God, now Jesus calls me friend, and I cannot be taken from my father's mighty hand. I know I've been forgiven of each and every sin, because I have believed in Christ who died and rose God and Father, thank you for waking up the spirits that are deep within inside of us. Thank you for helping us to be incited to live the life that you planned for us. Thank you for being intolerant of less than our best, 
I pray for those who are part of this ministry and those who hear this message that we might not treat this as a motivational speech, but rather that we treat it as a call to be the third little pig and to build our house of bricks. And at the foundation of our house is the only foundation that can be laid, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the bricks of the house are made with your word. And that we construct these brick by brick, lesson by lesson, by exposing ourselves to the word of God every day over and over again so that the word of God is so prominent in our souls that we can't forget it. And I pray that uh, we listen to the guidance of God the Holy Spirit as he does his job sanctifying us and conforming us to the image of your son. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.